Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to GranthamChurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. While we wait, Advent for the anxious. The insert in this morning's bulletin reads this, Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year and the season when Christians intentionally wait for the coming of the Messiah. First, and a lowly manger, and then in the clouds of glory. It's an advent that we're called to wait in anticipation for God to surprise us with a hope, peace, joy, and love that He alone can give us. It's a time for remembering that only God's light in Christ can deliver us from the darkness. We're living in a day when anxiety is at an all-time high, and We're currently facing what seems like insurmountable challenges in our world, our country, and in our homes. From the threatening effects of climate change to political corruption to increasing debt to post-traumatic stress to fears related to our health to uncertainties about our future, we're now observing a skyrocketing rate of debilitating anxiety across all generations. According to recent studies by the National Institute of Mental Health, nearly 20% of Americans experience an anxiety disorder in a given year. Over 30% experience an anxiety disorder over the course of their lifetimes. And the rate is rising. Last year, the American Psychiatric Association, drawing from a survey of about 1,000 people, American adults, diagnosed a statistically significant increase and national anxiety since 2017. And with an election year just around the corner, we're all nervously wondering what's next for the United States of anxiety. And we need to think about what our faith offers us in times like this. What does God want us to hear from the scriptures and the story of the coming Messiah? And how can Advent help us? That's what I'd like us to consider together in the weeks leading up to Christmas and to the new year. In our Advent 2019 series, we'll be reminded that God is able to meet us in our desperation and comfort us while we wait for Him to answer our prayers, to give us direction, to right the wrongs around us, to to deliver us, ultimately to deliver us from evil. And so I hope you'll join us through this series. And I want to encourage you to invite a friend or invite a neighbor to walk with us over the next few weeks. The Advent and Christmas season, as you know, is a great time to invite someone to church. And if it helps, just use the bulletin insert that you have this morning. Why don't you just write a personal note on the back of that to a neighbor, to a friend, or maybe to a family member. And make sure you put granthamchurch.org on there so they know how to find us. And... um, That would be greatly appreciated. We pray then for them to respond to the Spirit's leading in their life because the Lord knows we need to hear uh, this, this Advent focus where we are in our world. 
All right, as I said, it's the first Sunday of Advent, and I've entitled this message this morning, Flawed Kings and Broken Dreams. Our main scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Samuel. So I want to ask if you would to grab a Bible, your own or the one in the pew in front of you, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Yoel, and the name of his second was Abiyah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from this, the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And then verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we would be like all other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What does it mean to be anxious? The word anxious or anxiety comes from the Latin root, which literally means to squeeze, to tighten, or to choke. <laughs> so get that image. Anxiety, to squeeze, to tighten, or to choke. And don't we all know that the world is full of stuff that can squeeze or choke the life out of us? To be anxious about something comes with living in a broken world filled with real dangers, real risks, and threats to our well-being. And so as we launch into our, our Advent series this morning, I want you to hear me say that feeling anxious is a part of being a human being. It's perfectly normal to feel uneasy, to feel nervous or fearful about a number of things in life. And we can all can and will experience what it's like to worry and to be anxious. It doesn't necessarily mean that we need professional help, though it could, and we would encourage that here at Grantham. But instead, it, it may mean we need simply to turn to God and to learn to cope with worry and the stresses of life with the tools that our faith provides us. We also know that sometimes when people are anxious, it can have such a hold on them that it leads, it leads them to irrational thinking and behavior. Uh, this sort of anxiety grips us and won't let us go. And many of us in this room have experienced that. And if we're not careful, it can lead to serious anxiety disorders, which I believe Jesus may be speaking to in Matthew chapter 6 when he tells us not 
to worry and to miss experiencing the life of the kingdom in the here and the now. Jesus knows anxiety can rob us of the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that he wants to give us. And you know, anxiety can keep us from seeing beauty and hearing the truth that Jesus said sets us free. Because of anxiety, we can fail to see the good things in life and how God is working all around us all the time, like how he feeds the birds who are far lesser value than than you and me. As Jesus said, how much more precious and valuable are you to God than the birds? Yet God feeds them. And look at it this way. Anxiety is like like peering through a foggy glass enclosure that warps and distorts vision as well as sound. And you think about that. When we're living in those conditions, we're not able to make responsible judgments or good choices, which not only puts ourselves at risk, but we also put others at risk as well. And when you think back, look back just maybe in this past week, can you think of something you said or a decision that you made in an anxious state? Maybe you hurt someone with your words or you reacted out of your panic, out of your pain or out of your fear. You see, that's what the people of Israel were doing when they asked the prophet Samuel for God to give them a king. They were operating out of panic, out of their pain, out of their fear of the things to come. And I want you to think about that story and how that goes. I mean, from their very first king, King Saul, things don't go very well with a king. You see, God wanted to be their king, yet they, were, they said, we want to be like all the nation's of the world. And so, as God typically does, He accommodates to us. And then after King Saul, we had King David, who's probably the greatest king Israel had, yet David clearly had flaws. And you could say David sexually assaulted Bathsheba. He, he put her husband on the front lines so that he would die that people would never discover his sins, yet the prophet Nathan, as you recall, comes to him and points out what David has done, that God knows, that God sees. And as a result of David's sin, it totally destroys his family. His own sons see that, that what David has done, they become unruly and rebellious. He sees several of them die. And eventually Solomon takes over the kingdom, the last years of the United Kingdom before the kingdom is divided between Israel and Judah. And we have more corruption, more war, more violence as a result. And as you know, none of this lasts, this idea of a king other than God. Like the people of Israel, I think we can, we can look to people or things in life, don't you think? We can look to people or things in life to alleviate our anxieties instead of going to God with them. And so we still do this today. These people, these things can be our own flawed kings, flawed kings and broken dreams, which we hope will make everything better for us. And those idols, and I I do think we could call them that, those idols lure us into thinking that they will take care of the problem. They will help us avoid our worst fears becoming true. 
that they will ease our suffering. They will give us the life that we long for, at least provide an escape from our prison of pain. Of course, they come to us in easy, albeit destructive forms that appeal to our flesh. Is often the case, isn't it? When you think about how God comes to us and how God chooses to deliver us, it looks unlike anything else that we might imagine or expect. Fast forward to Jesus' own ministry and, and into his living and his calling as the true king of Israel. Look at what Matthew tells us in chapter 11. Beginning with verse 2, when John, that is John the Baptist, remember he's the fiery prophet preaching to prepare a way for the, for the coming Messiah. He's eventually arrested because he calls out King Herod for the sins that he's committing against his, his brother's ex-wife. Heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, John sees, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You see, John the Baptist is in prison. This is not what John was expecting. This is not what John envisioned when the Messiah, God's King, comes. And so Jesus replies in verse 4, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus saying, this is the way that the kingdom is coming. Not what John the Baptist expected, not what many of us expect, but it is indeed the upside down way that Jesus and his kingdom comes. Not by force, not by coercion, not by the kings of the world, but it looks like the blind receiving sight. It looks like the lame walking. It looks like those who have leprosy being cleansed. It looks like the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, and good news to the poor. Ask yourself, what do you do when things don't unfold the way that you expect it? Are we any different than John the Baptist, who certainly believed in the coming of the Messiah? And maybe you would say, I dreamed... I dreamed it would be this way, and that dream did not become a reality. I thought it would be different, but that's not how things unfolded. You might say, I wasn't expecting this to happen. And maybe this morning you've come into the sanctuary and you're thinking one of those things, and you're still very upset about that. You can't get past that. And maybe that's even causing some anxiety in your life. Well, I have some good news for us, church. You see, the whole story of Christ's coming is the truest picture of a God who works in unexpected ways and can perfectly handle a world, including your life and my life, that is full of unexpected twists and turns. Amen? And He can handle the anxieties that it produces in your life. But hear me, He will not pry these anxieties out of your hands. He will not pry these anxieties out of your hearts. You have to give them over and surrender to Him in your hot mess. If you want to experience Him as greater and better 
than your flawed kings and broken dreams. He will not pry. We must give them over. And listen, it may be something we need to do over and over again as we wait on his deliverance. We give it over and then we want to take it back. It's like, oh, it's still there. And over and over again, we have to give it back. And in the meantime, we have to trust that God has a purpose, something God wants to do while we wait. Here's what Betsy Childs Howard writes in her book, Seasons of Waiting. And she says, waiting expresses, or rather it exposes, waiting exposes our idols and throws a wrench into our coping mechanisms. It brings us to the end of what we can control and forces us to cry out to God. And God doesn't waste our waiting. He uses it to conform us to the image of his son. Again, as I said, I know that some of us, some of us here this morning, we can't get there because we're still stuck on the fact that our lives are full of problems we don't think we should have. Right? Why do I have this issue? Why am I broken in this way? I didn't ask for this. It shouldn't be this hard. And, and maybe we think that following Jesus means that life should be easier than this, right? Maybe some, someone in the church has even led us to believe that. And we hear people say this all the time. They say, God won't give you anything you can't handle. There's a theological word for that. It's called malarkey. Look, here's the thing. <laughs> That's not, that isn't just not right, right? It's not right. For starters, the apostle Paul, he didn't believe that. He didn't believe that. Look what he says to the church in Corinth in his second letter in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He said, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. This is for the sake of the gospel. He's planting churches. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Let's translate that. God gave us more than we could handle. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. <laughs> I'd say that's not handling it, right? But as a result, Paul said, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again, Paul says. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Folks, that is faith. That is faith. And, and watch how Paul, in the realization that he has more than he can handle, says we are relying upon God. We stop relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God. Enough of our flawed kings and our broken dreams. God is better than all of it. You see, brothers and sisters, God may let us, hear me, hear me carefully. You might want to write this down. I think this is good. God may let us hit rock bottom for us to discover that he is the rock at the bottom. God may let us hit rock bottom for us to discover that he is the rock at the bottom. And think about that, church. Think about that. Some of you were here, it was about the middle of the summer. I preached a sermon 
where I shared on coming home late one night from working on my sermon, I broke down in my car. You remember that? I want to tell you a little bit more of what led to that, just so you know that your pastor can relate to anxiety. This whole past year or more has truly been one of the most, if not the most difficult time I've ever experienced in my life. Stretched over that time span, there were some, a lot of things that happened. There was death, a couple of deaths of folks in the church and outside of the church, people that I knew. One of them, I was at this person's deathbed hours before they passed. Another, Jeff Twig, who I'd become friends with. Vicky's his wife is sitting over here. Passed away suddenly. Uh, there are challenges, of course, as you could imagine, in the church that passed all pastors encounter, and once the newness wears off, you start to see more and experience more of that. And of course, the increasing concerns in our world and about our world, the things going on around us were weighing heavy on me as I think about what can I do? I should be doing more. Why can't I do more to help? Some of you will recall that earlier in the spring, I had some health issues. I passed out one evening going to the bathroom, hit my head. Doug Curry took me to the ER. It was very traumatic. I didn't want to go back into that bathroom for a couple days. And then after that had happened, I seemed to start obsessing over death, started thinking about death a lot. And then this past summer, I had a colonoscopy, and I'm far from 50 years old. Wasn't the time for that. Thankfully, everything checked out, but still, I was sitting in a waiting room, staring at the ceiling for 40 minutes, waiting for the doctor to come in after I'd watched this really cheesy VHS tape that I could die from this procedure. That wasn't fun. Everybody's saying, oh, you're going to be great. You had the best nap of your life. And I'm like, no, it wasn't like that for me. Then, as, as you know, there's been stories in the news of pastors taking their own lives, none of whom I knew personally, but... You know, it's, it's kind of like when a, when a cop dies, all the cops feel it, you know. I had preached on a lot of heavy topics this past year, depression, money, sex, and power. That added to some of it. Had a lot of irons in the fire outside of, outside of Grantham Church, had lots of commitments. Had to write a 20-plus page paper for the denomination for my licensing. By the way, I got licensed. I can be your pastor a little bit longer. It helps. I had troubles with family in Texas. Someone close to me is a recovering alcoholic. So I had to deal with that on my vacation. And I think that this is, this is truly a thing now. I had compassion fatigue. Just didn't feel like I had anything else to give. And I was having a bit of an existential crisis with the problem of evil. So when you think about all of that and go back to what I had told you back in the summer. I'm coming home on a Friday night I should already be done with my sermon, but I wasn't. And so I'd finally finished, and I was driving home, and I started to break down and cry. Something on the radio triggered at a song I'd never heard before, and I don't even remember what it was. But it was the trigger. And I began to sob so hard, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it home. I mean, I was actually in danger of probably having a wreck with all the tears coming, coming out of my eyes down my face. And I finally did make it home. I pulled the car over in front of the house. And I just continued to weep. And it was as if all of those things, and so much more, there's so much more I didn't share with you, but all of those things just bubbled up to the surface. And it was all coming out. And up until this point, I had even that later, uh, earlier uh, that day, had 
maybe the second or third anxiety attack, which I'd never had before. And I started to experience that. So all of this was coming up. I, I had certainly hit rock bottom. And I, and I could hear the voice of the Lord in that moment through my sobbing say, David, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I have no beginning and I have no end. How am I supposed to explain to you why the world is the way that it is? But here's the thing. I'm going to sort it out. And you have to trust me. And I said, God, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm in this state. I preached on this earlier in the year about a pastor in California that started having this stuff occur with him. And I never would have guessed that that would have happened to me later in the year. Of course, that pastor took his own life. So yet I'm still feeling like, God, I cannot believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm experiencing this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm not a better husband. I'm not a better father. I'm not a better pastor. Please forgive me. And I heard once again the voice of the Lord say to me, David, I forgave you a long time ago. It's you that needs to accept my forgiveness. I have so much better for you. And I need you to trust me. And God, guys, I know this, this doesn't happen this way with everybody. It kind of reminds me of what happened with Dwayne Johnson and how Julia told us he's miraculously healed from his drug addiction. I have not had any of those episodes since. Uh, when I prayed to the Lord, I felt like something was unlocked, something was released, and I gave over my flawed kings and broken dreams to God. And I received healing. Now, what I learned from that on top of needing counseling and spiritual direction, which I'm getting, and if you need that, I encourage you to do that as well. But here are a few things I learned. Number one, I am not God. I cannot be aware of or do, do something about every evil going on in the world. And some of you need to hear that this morning. It is not ours to carry. It isn't that we don't care. We certainly care. But we are, we are one person. And God has called us to care for that which is around us. And number two, I realized I needed some discipline and some boundaries in my life. I can't say yes to everything. And I can't be people's savior. And neither can you. There's only one of those. His name is Jesus. And number three, I realized through it all, and you'll recall also in the summer I preached a sermon on spiritual warfare that came out of my own struggle. God was bringing to my mind that we have a real enemy. My experiences this past year reminded me of this passage from the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Peter said, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me say that again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, told you we have a real enemy. Here he is. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so Peter says, we must resist the evil one and turn to God, drawing near to him 
and He will deliver us. How does this speak to you this morning, church? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and about your anxieties? I want to close this morning with some questions for reflection and for response. As a way of listening to the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit is speaking to you and to your own life about the darkness that is there and about the, the anxieties that are there and how, how you can respond in obedience. Number one, who are the flawed kings and your life that you think will alleviate your anxiety? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a, a substance, an addiction. Who are the flawed kings in your life that you think will alleviate your anxiety? Maybe you think it's getting the right person in the White House. Maybe that's what it is. If we can just get the right people in office, the right party in office. And meanwhile, we go back and forth, back and forth, and I wonder when the church in the North, North America is going to wake up. But none of these things can save us. Who are the flawed kings in your life that you think will alleviate your anxiety? Number two, what unmet expectations or broken dreams do you need to give to God? Remember I said, He will not pry them from our hands. He will not pry them from our hearts. We have to give them over to Him. Maybe it means that you need to hit rock bottom to discover that He is the rock at the bottom. Amen? Philip Yancey once wrote this. He said, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And God is doing some of that for me toward the end of 2019. Let me say that again. I've learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. God calls us to trust Him, to give Him our unmet expectations and our broken dreams. I encourage you to do that this morning, church. What are those? And then number three, how is God asking you to cast your cares upon Him? Now, maybe it doesn't look like you breaking down and sobbing in your car, but what does it look like? Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our anxious hearts. Father, I know that we are not able on our own to orchestrate hitting the bottom. We are not able on our own to be healed, to make something happen. Lord, we know that we need you to do that. We know, Lord, that you, you need to set the proper conditions in our heart and in our life and what's happening around us that would, would enable us to hit the bottom. And in Advent, as we look forward to the coming Messiah, as we make room in our hearts by seeing our great need for you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would make it possible for us to hit the bottom, to know that you're the rock at the bottom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.